Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for May 31st, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin, and join me right off as our special guest this evening, Miss Margaret Carlson. Welcome to the show, Miss Carlson. Uh, nice to hear from you, Mr. McLaughlin. You can call <laughs> yes. me Margaret. Well, I've... I- I, I, I will. I've, I've just been seeing you on TV, uh, you know, capital gang thing, uh, inside politics for so many years now, since I was, I guess, in college. So um, it just seems kind of strange. But, uh, Margaret, I'll go ahead and try that out. Uh, once again, like, so glad to have you here. Now, you've had a very career, but you're now with the Daily Beast as the primary place you write. Um, what makes that different than the print journalism you did with the with Time Magazine and, and on CNN shows and things like that? I still write for Time Magazine, which is, um, to me now, the golden age. Uh, there was lots of uh, resources. So, you you know, I would spend a summer in Kennebunkport, uh, close to where George Bush's family was. Um, well, I mean, George George Sr., actually lived there during the summers and um 42 would go there uh if it is 40 yeah 42 would go there to visit so i mean the idea of that happening now unless you're at the wall street journal or the new york times is pretty remote uh because journalism has had terrible cutbacks and it's not profitable for many people and the ones that are doing well have very rich owners so, so does the Daily Beast, um, but nonetheless, uh, it's it doesn't have the wherewithal of uh, what Time Magazine had. Still, it's great to be there. Yes, and they they break incredibly good stories, and um, the you know the energy and the resourcefulness of the reporters is amazing. I'm lucky in some ways. Um, I mean, while I'd still like to be a reporter at time in some ways, going all over the world, uh, I think it's a privilege to be a columnist because you benefit from the work others are doing and you get to put it in perspective or what I think is perspective. Um, and that's, a, that's really an honor. Yes. Well, uh, you, you've written so many pieces even this year for the Daily Beast, and one I want to ask you about since I'm a K-12 teacher and my daughter's going to be a senior this coming year, uh, thinking about schools on our mind. And um, you wrote an article about Donald Trump pushing to reopen schools. Um, one, why do you think he wants to do that so badly as opposed to other aspects? And two, um, what are the implications for the country? He did this about a month ago. Almost no one was urging that, Um, not even the governors in the states that were quite ready to take his instruction and, and, you know, open immediately and without many safeguards. You know, the striking thing about the states that have opened totally is they've done it without the six feet of separation or the masks, which are, you know, modest requirements. Um, and on the school thing, not, you know, opening up this, this school year, you know, why would you take that risk for a month? The reason is that Donald Trump wants to get back to normal. He wants to restart the economy and he wants it to look okay. And one way it looks more okay is, hey, everybody's back at school. Um, I know schools that aren't quite sure how they're going to manage it in the fall, much less have reopened in the spring. You know, Donald Trump at the moment, I mean, if you see how he's dealing with the latest terrible protests and, and, and in 
injuries and one person died today in Omaha. You know, he's not acting like a president anymore. He is, you know, you, that old saying, uh, let me see if I can get it right. You, you, if you fan the flames, you can't condemn the fire. And that's where we are. You know, the president should be talking to the country. Um, I don't expect him to see, sing Amazing Grace the way Obama did or, you know, give a stirring, you know, Bobby Kennedy talk. But, you know, you expect something of the president. Um, and we're not, we're not getting that. But to answer your question, I think opening the schools is part of um, the ending the, quote, artificial shutdown of our country as Trump puts it, and getting back to total normal so he can get back, as Don Jr. said, was it Don Jr. or Eric that said that the the pandemic was a plot to keep by the Democrats to keep Donald Trump from having rallies, which is his stock and trade, which is how he'll win the election. So the hoax is more than a hoax. It's a plot. Yeah, it's so funny how so many things have been described as these elaborate democratic plots. And honestly, and I am a Democrat, if we were that talented, we would just use all our powers and skills to win elections instead of do all these other much more complex things. I know. It's like if the protesters had more power, if the protesters had more power, they wouldn't be protesting. Yeah. Let me just well, now me let's as a kinda, parallel to what you just said. Yeah. Certainly so. Um, well, let's kind of go back. And, uh, you know, if we would have had you on in uh, January or maybe the moment when it kind of looked like, you know, Joe Biden was going to be the nominee, we would have probably could have discussed this presidential race coming one way. But then we had COVID-19 um, the pandemic and the way it's been handled, and that changed the race. And then in the past, you know, four days, it seems like a whole nother layer has been added to the race. And we don't even know what the outcome of that is since it's so fresh. But just kind of looking, um, what would have been your outlook, I guess, before these two national crises happened? Um, and then how has it been impacted by them? You know, I thought one thing was missing from what uh, brought about Donald Trump's win in 16, and that was Hillary Clinton. Those people, one of the interesting statistics was those people who told, who said that they didn't like either candidate disliked Hillary Clinton more and voted for Trump. That wouldn't be at work this time. You can say you can have a lot of disagreements with Joe Biden as you do with Donald Trump. And, but Joe Biden doesn't elicit the same degree of resistance that Hillary Clinton did. So I saw that as an advantage for Joe Biden. I saw Trump's great advantage being the economy. He didn't create this economy. It was a continuation of the Obama economy, which in fact, Obama did create after the 08-09 financial crisis. But nonetheless, the person who's in charge at the time gets a lot of credit, and he was taking a lot of credit. So that was his great advantage. After his performance, I mean, if you ask, I mean, if you ask a, a Republican senator, which I have done, well, what about this and what about that? And I will quote tweets or behavior or, you know, this or that. They say, well, you know, I don't want to have him to dinner. I, you know, I'm not having holidays with him. Um, but, you know, I like, I like what he's done and I stand behind him. I w- and the most they would say is, well, I wish he would tweet less. Well, you know, when they say I wish he would tweet less, tweeting is about 90% of Trump's presidency. I say, well, that's, you know, then if he didn't do that, he'd probably be a better president. But there's a, there's a recognition by even his ardent supporters who need him because they're afraid they won't get reelected because he has a very enthusiastic base, that you don't want him to be 
your parent or your child or or somebody you'd hire yourself. But he's okay if he's president. It's it's like an anomaly that's almost too hard to explain. You know, I wouldn't hire him for my company, but he's doing I'm getting my tax cuts and my regulations removed. And so it's okay if he's president. So anyway, that's how I look yes, at it. Yes, and uh, Yes, it's Yeah, so strange how the I don't know, commander in chief of the nation are. You know, David, I mean, I don't know who your listeners are, but I think even among those who are Trump supporters, when they're honest, and I have some in my extended family, when they're honest, they admit to his his terrible, glaring faults. Yes, uh, and definitely. And and we have a cross-section based in the South, but then – probably more progressives in the South than anything else. Well, Ms. Carlson, we want to thank you so much, Margaret, for coming on the show and talking with us about the election, and hope you have the good rest of your evening. You too, and thank you. Thank you for the chance. Thank you. All right, that was Margaret Carlson, currently writes just on a very frequent basis at Daily Beast, still writes for Time magazine, um, was on so many shows on CNN throughout the um, 90s and 2000s, certainly, um, and probably more times than that. Uh, But now let me welcome in my regular uh, co-host, if you will. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, and folks, uh, it was just a a timing issue where we had just a, a few minutes with Miss Carlson, and so we wanted to make the most of that. And so now we're going to get to the regular part of the show where we discuss the issues of the day. And, and unfortunately, there's been a lot of them um, and not good ones. Um, Catherine, we know that the, these uh, protests um, have happened throughout the country. And so really any American could speak to them. But you are in the city limits of Atlanta, which luckily it's not been uh, Minneapolis, but it's been a lot more severe than our Murchie and Menlo uh, for Tim and I, to say the least. Um, Catherine, what kind of what are your initial thoughts? I just think it's very, very uh, sad that um, that we as a people, uh, uh, some of us feel so uh, frustrated and um, angry and um, without power to that that we end up in this place where the only way we feel we can express ourselves is through protests and the more people that come together, the more... uh, unwieldy the crowds become and the more aggressive the police become and the more aggressive the protests become and then it um, you know unexpectedly uh, becomes violent and uh, I just it's it's very very sad you know I I'm old I just had a birthday and um, I grew up outside Detroit and watched the Detroit riots in 68 67 and 68 on television every night and um, I'm sure Tim remembers a lot of that, too. And it's just very sad that, you know, almost 50 years later, we're still having these same problems and not get and, – and a lot of people feel like they're not getting addressed. I, I mean, they are not getting addressed, and a lot of people are angry about that and feel their power, only power – is to gather and protest. And it's it's just it's yes, heartbreaking uh, to see it's heartbreaking to see, you know, businesses and um organizations be damaged by this, but also heartbreaking to see people feeling this pain and anger and frustration. 
Yeah, uh, t- Tim, Catherine's right that there's a lot of facets to this. It all started, obviously, with a, you know, a police officer using far too excessive force on George Floyd, who apparently was being held for a counterfeit $20 bill. As much as anybody might say they hate counterfeiting, I don't think anybody would ever uh, say that it's the death penalty. And secondly, you have a trial by jury in this country, and when you're, you know, getting choked out with someone's knee, you didn't get your trial. So, I mean, that's one facet. The next facet are, in some cases, protest, in some cases, you know, rioting. I mean, it just kind of you, you have both facets in the reaction, if you will. What are your what's your initial take on some of the events the last few nights in multiple cities? Yeah, there's another thing driving uh, this sense of outrage. To I saw Dave Gergen and Carl Bernstein talking today, and they were looking at the economic angle for African Americans. Mm-hmm. Everything that they have gained in recent years has basically been completely wiped out in the last couple of months. This pandemic has hit them both on an economic uh, and a health care scale that far exceeds what has happened to anyone else. You combine that with the long-simmering problems uh, that that they have had uh, with the criminal justice system, um, with with relations with uh, law enforcement, uh, the court system, that sort of thing. And it's just all blown up at, at, at once. It just took something to ignite it, and there's been three or four events. One of them, I'm sorry to say, right here in Georgia, down at Brunswick, that has just basically made people say, you know what, we, we've had enough, and now we're seeing a level of protest and unrest, and, and Catherine alluded to it, that we have not seen in this country since Uh 1968 we did have the LA riots I know as you have mentioned to us this week David in 92 and the uproar with uh, say Colin Kaepernick in 2016 um, but nothing nothing of, of this scale uh, with everything just basically hitting, hitting at once and uh, it's very 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 Serious situation. It had spread over seventy-five cities last by last night, and from uh, what we're seeing early on television today, uh, looks like there's some pretty rough protests erupting once again. Yeah, and you mentioned in, in Brunswick. Go ahead, Kevin. I think there's one more thing that's at play here. And that's a lot of discussion about um, access to voting um, amid the pandemic. You know, there's, a, you know, from our from our president uh, talking about you know blocking mail-in voting, and then a lot of states having uh, complications around voting. I think that also has an impact. It's like, you know, that has always been the path change right is voting even though it might be very slow it's one of the paths but as barriers are built to uh, voting and especially uh, for uh, not just people of color not just African Americans but people of color and also poor people um, as those barriers come up that's just one more um, one more dynamic that adds to this anger and Frustration and pain. Yeah, and Catherine, you're absolutely right about voting. I thought you were going to say there's like 100 more things, and, and you've probably been right <laughs> well, there, there too. Are, there's so many facets well, to this. Years, but, but. <laughs> well, I mean, with just so many different facets, and I want to talk about something Tim said, and now I got to talk. There's so many things going on. But, Catherine, I think you're absolutely right about voting. And here's where, when, you know, like a Republican governor, a Republican, you know, Speaker of the House in a state, um, ideally, you know, Donald Trump, but um, I guess I have a little more hope for 
a lot of the governors uh, around our country, the Republicans, I do him. Um, but if they genuinely said, you know, what can we do to keep um, these protests happening? Obviously, there's a police piece. I mean, a realistic police piece. Because you see people carrying signs that are like, you know, abolish the police. Well, that, that's just not realistic. Let's just be honest. Because here's the thing. If you abolish the police, you're going to get more situations like you get in Brunswick where people try to become their own police. Uh, and that's not going to get anybody anywhere any either. But w- so when you say to those – like what, when you say to those Republican legislators or governors, elected officials, what can we do? You must provide open, complete, equal access to the ballot box because then people will have a democracy recourse to where – you know, protesting and hopefully certainly rioting won't be a remote option for them um, if if you come about it in the right way. You know, I think there's a lot of p- different people, with a lot of different agendas that have been taking um, advantage of some portions of the protest. Um, but that once again, that's a whole other aspect. But Tim, you know, Catherine's right about the voting. But when you go to, let's say they they marched on. Uh, you know, the, uh, the governor's mansion in Georgia. I don't think anything really came up much out of that. Uh, but they marched over there. Let's say Brian Kemp would have come out. If they said, we need real access to the ballot box, how would that message have been met? I, I'm sure he would have um, given them some lofty platitudes about, you know, how everything's going to be wonderful at the ballot box and and that he certainly uh, is in their camp and, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, unfortunately, he, he wouldn't mean a word of it. You know, we, we've heard this stuff from from guys like that for years about, you know, oh, don't worry, we got this under control. We're going to fix this. Voting access is, is constitutional. It's important to us, this and that and the other thing. Then they turn around and try to uh, – basically strangle people away from the polls in, in every way that they can because it benefits them, uh, um, a certain segment of them, if, if less people vote. Um, so, uh, you know, it would have been a lot of talking and, and nothing after the crowd left, I would say. Yes, I mean, but that's really, you know, if you're going to say we want a peaceful resolution – that's going to be one of the aspects um, you'd have out of this. Now, you know, getting into some of these protests that, that happened, um, it looked like um, there were probably more white faces in this protest than there normally are, which on one thing you may say that's a good thing because that means that, you know, white people are saying this is a problem and we stand with you and we march for you. And those people that probably came at it in that angle, that's good. But then I noticed a lot of the footage, some of the worst property damage that was just simply rioting, that was not protesting, seemed to be committed by white people, people that are not going to necessarily face police brutality, certainly are not going to face it because of the race of their uh, their color of their skin. Um, Catherine, did you notice some of the images I noticed where – the you know the barricade through the college football hall of fame those were two white people doing it not african americans i didn't notice that in the footage but i've heard that in reports and in the reports and stories that i've read about this that there's a there may be some infiltration from um outside of um the area where the you know from out of state or from outside of the area where the um, protests have been handled. I just want to make one comment about the idea that our governor would come out and address the protesters is (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I said he did. I agree that if he did, he would say say the things that that Tim said he would say, but Hmm. I just can't see him uh, doing that. No. Well, and, but to, to me, this that. is where if you have a 
if you have a true protest that you want change in this arena, you take it to the governor's mansion, you take it to a state capitol, um, you take it to, I guess, a city hall. You don't do what happened in Nashville or Reno, Nevada, but you, you take it to these places. You don't take it to the CVS. You don't take it to the auto zone. Um, you know, the you know, sun car wax and spark plugs, you know, didn't cause the police brutality. Um, you, you take it to where the power is to try to talk about change. Um, and and well, what I'll say, I, and I, I'm going to come back I, to this. I hear, your, I hear your point, but I think uh, it depends on what, what your protest, what the point of your protest are. If your protest is, if you're looking for visibility, you go where the people are. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how busy AutoZone ever really gets. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I think there's people. I think there's people that have different agendas here. I think, I think with some of these folks, I think in the, you have some people that look like the guy that was breaking the windows in Minneapolis out of the AutoZone. He very well may have been some white nationalist. Now, I think some of the the white people that have been involved, some of the ones I saw in Atlanta, they may be, you know, more to the left, and they just want to cause chaos in a different way. Still yeah, not getting the agenda. I have names. Some people are like, "Hey, why are we why are we protesting the governor's mansion? Let's go up to Lenox Mall and take some stuff." I mean, there are, and yeah. then there's people. The core of it, hopefully, are the people that really want to affect change that march like those people in Brooklyn, New York, and they were all African American. They're probably some of the best people I've seen out of this whole thing. People went to go destroy the windows and break into the Target and. Multiple African American gentlemen stood in front and said, "This is not the point of this. The point of this is to get justice for um, George Floyd and other people like him, not go into a Target and take things." And I thought, man, and I, I sent it to y'all. I said, "These guys get it. They understand the point. You're going to get your message through when you do that, not the other." Tim. You, well, you got you got several groups though that that do have an agenda uh, to disrupt, uh, to tear things up. Uh, like the group uh, Anarchists International. Now, I, I I know if, if people um, don't recognize the name, they'll recognize the group. They've seen them on TV. They're they're very famous for protesting at at, at like these. Uh, Meetings of nations like the summit meetings of the G G seven G eight G twenty all of them uh, they're the guys that show up with masks and fight the cops and and basically want to tear cities up. They're anarchists. That's what they do. That's what they intend to do. Their agenda is disrupting uh, organized governments that they have no use for. Uh, then, you know, there's been some chatter on the Internet the last couple of days from some uh, white supremacist groups that have said, hey, let's go and let's bust some stuff up and we can blame it on the protesters and make them look bad. So there's that angle. There's the people you talked about. They come from the suburbs or kids. Hey, let's just bust some stuff, take some stuff, have some fun, knock out windows, set fires. Uh, the cops ain't around. Let's do it. Um, there's that type. Um, so so you got all, all of this mix thrown together. Uh, the question is at what time does this peter out what what makes what makes it happen because these disruptors they'll keep coming as long as the protests keep going on um so you got to separate one group from the other in order to stop the violence uh i don't have a perfect answer yeah, I think you're right that some people, some bad actors, are using the cover of the the larger event, sure they which, are. Uh, which has a purpose. And you got to get down to those folks because they're just dividing people. They're they're you know they're ripping people apart, whether they're from the right and they want to make the left look bad, and they're well, ripping things apart, or they're people that just have they just want chaos and they don't value any kind of government. Um, well, you know, you know that, that's David, thing. like in the past protest, like in 2016, I've seen people that were like, you know, F the police 
and the fire department too. When did the fire department become anybody's target? I mean, yeah. we're pro fire now. Uh, that's weird. He, um, Tim, historically, historically, when the state has employed violence, as you saw during the civil rights movement toward the protesters who did not offer to fight them back then the country sided with the protesters after they did, say, after Bloody Sunday, uh, or or after they saw the hoses turned on the the teenagers that were marching from their schools down in Birmingham. But now, when the protesters engage in violence directed at uh, the state uh, or against private property, then historically that has driven moderates, as it did in 1968, to the side of those who said, we represent law and order, as Nixon did so skillfully in that campaign. They think that might have cost Humphrey all six percentage points in in the voting. Uh, The question is, how is this going to play out this year? Uh, and the other question is, as some of our recent guests have mused, is there any moderates in the middle to be swayed either way as they view this on television? What do you think? Is there? I, that is a huge question, and, and polling. We saw a poll that came out that was conducted Thursday, what I guess caught a little bit of um, the first day in Minneapolis, and it showed – that Joe Biden had increased his lead, but one, it was one poll, and two, it just didn't capture this. We would have to see polling because here's the thing. If you say, hey, I want uh, justice, I want racial understanding, another four years of Donald Trump, the most divisive president we've ever had, and I really do believe and judged him by 2016-2020 standards – Donald Trump is more divisive than Andrew Jackson ever thought about being. Are you inserting the blank with a different uh, person that's been president? I think when you look at where we are as a society or should be um, compared to 1824, um, you know, Donald Trump's far more divisive. So you're definitely not getting what you want if you help reelect him. Uh, Catherine, do you have the answer to this very vexing question? Well, I think a lot's going to depend, as far as the election, I think a lot's going to depend on what happens between now and then. Um, Are we going to see any improvement in the handling of the pandemic? Are we going to see any improvement in the economy? Are we going to see any um, action taken in Minneapolis and in Georgia around these recent killings? And then is anything, you know, are they, are those killings going to slow down or are we going to, I mean, I think there's so many dynamics to uh, the next few months that it's really hard to guess what, what might happen. Also uh, the president and his, you know, fight with social media, which I think we're going to get to talk about maybe if yes. we have time today. Um, oh, we I will. think there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of, um, balls in the air and how the president and how um, Vice President Joe Biden respond to these things if we get a chance to hear from Joe Biden because there's so much going on it's hard to hear from him um, but I, I, I just think it's there's a lot to a lot to a lot for people who are either undecided or um, like moderate or you know, maybe they aren't, don't really usually vote, but is this, are any of these things going to spur them to vote for either candidate? Um, I, I just think it's, it's really hard to guess. And I think we'll see as these polls come out how things change. But, again, something could happen in the last week that makes everything different. So I, I wish I had a looking glass, but I don't. Yes, you now, know. Now let's, let's actually mention the rights with, or I'm sorry, the protest with the um, pandemic. And, um, you know, 
obviously there were more people wearing masks at, the, at almost every city's uh, protest than there were at Lake of the Ozarks or that restaurant, uh, <laughs> Castle Rock or wherever. But still, there were some people not wearing masks, and two, people were packed in tight. Those masks can only do so much good. And, and obviously, I mean, we have to be a medical professional and say, oh, well, there'll be this much spread out of this and that. And, and I, we can't really get into that. But politically, could somebody use the protest to get their outcome out of the pandemic? And I'm going to lay it two ways, Tim. One, could you know Donald Trump say, well, look at all these people on the left that are just all out in the streets. They must not even be afraid of the pandemic. We're going to open it up faster. Or could somebody say um, – Oh, because of people, the way people are acting, you know, tearing things up and causing chaos, we're going to lock it down even harder and talk about the pandemic. Um, Tim, do you think they can or would try to use one event to help their uh, thoughts on the other? Well, Trump's not going to use any event to try to shut the country back down. Donald Trump wants the country wide open thing running. He wants the appearance of the economy humming, so that one's off the table. As far as somebody saying something about all these people uh, out there spreading the pandemic, well, they could say that, and they would be within their rights to say that because they very well could be doing it. Uh, Incidentally, someone at the Lake of the Ozarks did test positive, so all you folks that are listening to us tonight that were there for that big bar party, uh, good luck to you. You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, these people are fair game for someone to say that about the pandemic. Uh, I don't believe it's going to change any of their minds, and, and none of them are going home because they have uh, something far, far bigger in their own heads on their mind right now than the pandemic uh who who was it that tweeted uh only in america could the pandemic be ahead 28 to 3 and 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 lose to uh you know these rights uh, yeah to race yeah because it completely yeah. obliterated the the pandemic off the off the news um the, yeah the even though the pandemic still going don't, on don't care yeah, yeah, let's remember the no, pandemic. No. Don't care. It's going right on 20,000 new cases as of uh, showtime today. Uh, so the pandemic yeah. doesn't care. It's going on. But the, all these people I'm looking at right now in Santa Monica, California, uh, uh, that's, that's hollering, holding up signs and that, and the line of police officers on the other side, I bet none of them are talking about the pandemic. No, and another thing, I will say this. Now, as much as people have talked about it not being just an African-American crowd, a lot of white folks don't know about uh, Latino and Asian, any other race. But there has not been a lot of age diversity. Um, It's mainly been younger people. And one, that could just be the nature of protest. Uh, But two, it could be that people that might still feel against these kind of police actions that normally would take, you know, into the protest have not because they're scared of getting COVID-19 because they're older. And then also with age, hopefully comes wisdom and they might've been helped some cooler heads prevail in some places if some older people would have been there. Um, But they weren't Catherine. I think I, I can imagine that I would have gone to that protest in some fashion Maybe just, you know, a block away watching um, here in Atlanta. But I wouldn't go out now because of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I just noticed that that there was not that age diversity, if you will, in any of the one, you know, the cities that I've seen uh, different footage from. David, you mentioned that, that there seemed to be a lot more white people at some of these. Well, you know, for starters, Minnesota has like a 7% minority population. Even in Minneapolis, far and away its largest city, 
only about 20% of the population is, is you know, African-American. So it would make sense there that there would be a lot more uh, whites there. Uh, it also makes sense that there would be such a diverse crowds as the one we've seen, oh, say, in California or in New York City, um, which are essentially two great melting pots. Now, there are some other places that I've scratched my head. Uh, for instance, I expected a far, far heavier African-American presence, say, in Chicago. Uh, with the South Side and all there, uh, but we we've seen a, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, whites there. Um, so I, I'm not sure exactly what that is, unless they're more at that age socially conscious. Is that a good way to put it? And so these yeah. sorts of issues are something that spur them out to action even more so say than voting ever would um i I'm, I'm not sure i have your answer there either yeah well and and i think that we're seeing some surveys and some uh research data showing that um democratic white voters on a lot of issues including racial issues are to the left of uh, a lot of black voters um uh-huh. You know, for whatever reason, um, and so maybe that's an outcropping. The ones that have the right, you know, intent in mind. I mean, I just once again. I mean, I said it before coming on the show. I don't know why busting out the window of the American Cancer Society helps your cause. You know, these people are trying to raise money to fight cancer. Every dollar they have to spend putting up a new pane of glass is one less dollar that can go towards fighting cancer. And, you know, that's kind of something that, you know, you, you talk about things that bring us together and divide us apart. Our disdain of cancer ought to bring all 7 billion people <laughs> yeah. on the planet together because it's one of the yeah. most – it is the most insidious killer um, that we know, and it, it kills everybody. It doesn't care about race either. Um, well, let's, let's go ahead, and we can still talk about some political aspects of this, but let's move over uh, to the social media part of this conversation um and you know donald trump he just has been spewing anything he wants to spew on twitter uh for mm-hmm. so long and obviously you have a first amendment right at some point um but he just out and out just you know says falsehoods and twitter's decided to you know, check him to an extent um facebook they're just going in the whole other direction. Mark Zuckerberg, I, I don't even begin to know uh, what to think of him. But um, Twitter, you know, took some stand. Some people say, oh, they should have done more and they should have done a lot sooner. But they've taken this stand. And now Donald Trump is talking about um, taking action against social media sites. Uh, now, you want to talk about getting young people to protest. You start taking their Snapchat and their Instagram away, Catherine, and you might really get some protest. But in all seriousness, what do you think of, um, you know, Donald Trump's actions this week? Well, it it just sounds like a a spoiled child to me. Like, oh, they won't let me say what I want to say, so I'm going to take my toys and go home and close them down because I'm the president. First of all, I don't think he can do it. Second of all... um, wouldn't it be nice if instead of reacting this way, he thought, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't post lies on social media. If they couldn't fact check, if they fact checked me and I was correct, then it uh. wouldn't happen. <laughs> like, But that's not the way his mind works, I guess. Um, if, if he does try to do anything, it's just going to end up in court and it, he's going to lose. Even with his the way he's been padding the courts around the country. I just don't see him prevailing and, you know, shutting them down or stopping them from doing something that they want to do for their um, users. You're right about Facebook. I don't know what Mark Zuckerberg, 
what I said about him earlier this week was that he has altogether too much influence and altogether not enough uh, ability to take responsibility. Yeah. Uh, Tim, I think you may be – I know you're on Facebook more than I am. And I, me, you and Catherine, y'all can have a Facebook off some other time. But like I said, I d- definitely know you're on there more than I am. I see uh, Facebook – I see the social media sites in general siloing um, where people that um, are in one age group are on this site more than others. People that are in this political persuasion are more on this uh, site than others. And this, I think it's going to only get worse, a divide. Do you see that, too, with Facebook becoming more of the conservative option? Yes, absolutely. I see I see it happening in front of me. As a matter of fact, for those interested, about a week ago I deactivated my Facebook page. I just basically have had enough of it. It's become a battleground, really, with people trolling around looking to start arguments and this and that and the other. And frankly, I'm I'm a little weary of it. I finally had to tell one gentleman, you know, buddy, this this isn't real. This is Facebook. This is not real politics or government. This is Facebook. Now, you know, go argue with your uncle at Thanksgiving or something. But be that as it may, isn't it funny we're even talking about something like Twitter? Fifteen years ago, it didn't exist. Donald Trump joined it ten years ago. And in the last 10 years, Trump has tweeted approximately 52,000 times. That's an average of 100 a day, and he's gained 80 million followers. Donald Trump is not going to throw that away, even though Twitter added uh, fact-checking to a couple of his tweets where he was talking about fraud with mail-in voting. Uh, Trump's already doing what he's wanting to do with Twitter. You know what that is? He's fighting. He's fighting him. He's fight- he he feels that he is never uh, in better political shape than when he's fighting somebody. He doesn't care if anything comes of this. As long as there's a conflict and he can look like the glorious warrior to his followers, uh, that, that also deflects uh, from – other things that are going on. Maybe people won't talk about these rights for 30 minutes today. Instead, they'll talk about Trump having a fist fight with Twitter. Maybe they won't think about the pandemic or the fact that the economy's in the tank. They'll be talking about Donald Trump and, and Twitter. That's why he hit them back with that executive order that has no teeth at all, threatening social media with with, with free speech regulations. Well, that's not going to go anywhere in the courts, and he knows that. He doesn't care. Uh, Trump Trump said something interesting, guys. He said he would quit, trit, quit or tro- uh, quote, if we had a fair press in this country, unquote. <laughs> oh, Donald Trump's mind. Um it it just it just keeps twirling around, doesn't it? But no, Trump Trump's doing what he's wanting to do with Twitter right now. Yes, I tell you what, I, I don't know that it would be illegal in the First Amendment, but I think the best thing somebody might could do is start a new You couldn't talk about politics. Uh where you could post just your dog photos and where you went on vacation and catch up with high school friends, like Facebook, I guess, used to be. Because um, I think that would be a – there'd be a big yearning for that. Um, yeah, but well, you instead, know, we've got Twitter, the social media structure we have. Yeah, Twitter hit him again, you know, when he made that tweet about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. They've got oh, this feature apparently where they can cover up your tweet and you have to read their warning before you can remove it and read the actual tweet. And, of course, Trump lashed out again in his quote this time was, and y'all are going to love this, Twitter is doing nothing about all the lies and propaganda being put out by China or the radical left Democrat Party 
They have targeted Republicans, conservatives, and the President of the United States. Isn't that sweet, guys? But they're not. Yes, actually, it's for offensive content. What's that, Catherine? Catherine? Well, they're 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 not getting these fact check messages because what they're saying is true. What's that famous line about? um, I'm happy to tell the truth about. I can't remember it. Never mind. You know what I think really bothers Trump? You, I said he had 80 million followers. You know what place that puts him in on Twitter? Ninth. You know who's number one? You know who has the most followers? Barack Somebody Obama. like Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, Barack Obama. All that, you know that just eats the man alive. Yeah. I, f- I figured you were going to say um, it was someone like, um, uh, what you call it? Um, Kardashian. Oh, yeah, someone, that, or yeah, it's a singer, something like that. Well, Lady Gaga has more followers <laughs> than he does. Yeah. <laughs> the- This when you and, and y'all were talking uh, about you know his legacy and and all the things that he says on Twitter compared to you know Catherine I believe you Annapolis after uh, Martin Luther King was shot and so when you think about you know JFK is going to have that you know great line ask what you can do for your country um, you know Bobby Kennedy his speech even Ronald Reagan with you know tear down the Berlin Wall. They're going to have these famous, um, you know, quotes that, you know, kind of define their presidency and and leave a legacy. It, Catherine, is all Donald Trump's going to be is some of these goofy tweets that are just either stupid <laughs> or mean spirited or wrong? I don't know what his legacy is going to be. I think it's. I think a lot depends on what happens with this pandemic. I think the pandemic might be his legacy. And not in a good way. And I found mm-hmm. this quote, yeah. Adlai Stevenson, who said, if the Republicans will stop telling lies about the Democrats, we will stop telling the truth about them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, yeah. that's why you're not seeing fact-check messages on uh, a lot of the progressive and left-leaning and Democratic twi- tweets, because we're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, I don't, I think, yeah. I'll tell you this, guys. I'll tell you this, guys. I don't think Trump has to ever worry about anybody plagiarizing any of his speeches. <laughs> I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And as far as what will be remembered as memorable that Trump said, I, I'm afraid in his case the most memorable line he ever uttered uh, took place a few years ago uh, on the television show Access Hollywood. You know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Uh, I can't repeat yeah. it on, on this show, but uh, that that's the one that people are going to remember about him. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it, what did people expect? What did people expect? Aren't they getting what they what the man is? This this is what he is. Yeah. What he's doing, what he's yeah, saying. I mean, well, this is who he is. I think people knew how horribly offensive he'd be and gruff and he wouldn't bring anybody together. But now if you look at it like, you know, you hired him for a job, the economy's in the tank. Uh there's a health issue that has gone completely unchecked, and over 100,000 people have already died and more are going to die, unfortunately. And now you have these major fault lines that are completely raw and exposed among racial lines, let's say. I mean, it's just in every almost every single fashion, he's failing. And these major things, the economy, race relations, and health care, I mean – you know, no, I guess if he because, screwed up education but, worse than Betsy DeVos has, but because he, he, really, because he really was, as as many talking heads said, 
And as we have said on here numerous times, he really is the most ill-prepared person ever to assume the presidency. He just simply does not know how to handle government, how to do government, how to function as the president of the United States. He just simply does not know how to do it. The only thing he knows how to be is what he already is, and that just not does not fit the times. And it was all funny and good when things were rolling along and he had inherited Obama's economy and could ride on that and could run his mouth and this and that and the other. But then these three major crises hit him all at one time. And and it would take, you know, a gifted person to, you know, a, a skillful politician to go through this minefield. And he's just not up to it. And and I'm very afraid right now for the country. I, I really am more afraid for the country now than I've ever been in my life. Yeah, well, here's well, the thing. Not only is he not is, good is at I government, I, he's not good at anything. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, I think that some people thought, well, he's got executive experience because he was, you know, whatever. But clearly <laughs> he does not have executive experience because a good executive surrounds themselves with talented, uh, challenging, and um, accomplished uh, leaders to help them. And he just has, you know, yes men surrounding him. And I think that's a really big indicator. I've always been something that I look at when I'm voting for someone in an executive, in an executive leadership program. Uh, position, or when I'm looking at you know companies and all that kind of thing, is do are they able to hire good people and listen to them? And he has failed in all those ways. He he hires lame people and then he doesn't even listen to them. So uh, again, yeah, no, it goes saying, back he's, to he's something. really not good. He's not good at anything. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of the flavor flavor of business. He's a hype man. He, he really never he, was successful. He, he casinos went bankrupt. He owned a football team. They spent a lot of money and really didn't win any games. Didn't win any championships at least. Um, his uh, water brand, his steak uh, brand, his university, uh, all of them failed. Again, he's really not good again. at anything except hyping his name. Yeah. Well, again, David. Is something we've talked about before. What did the 43 previous men who occupied the Oval Office have in common? They either had extensive government in their background, government experience, or senior military experience, or in many cases, a combination of both. The reason for that is that it prepared them both by training and by temperament, for the rigors of the presidency. And Donald Trump did not have any of that. They literally elected a person right off the street to be president, and he's being president like a person who they just got off the street. (laughs) And it's not going to improve. Time there's a crisis that hits us, it's going to be just like this. Just like it. Yes. Well, guys, I want to break a little news on the show. I just got tweeted out uh, after we came on the air by uh, Evan Scrimshock. He retweeted it from his firm, Polling USA. And um, are they, I guess they're with lean uh, toss up. Anyway, uh, YouGov put out a poll, 861 users. It was conducted on May 30th, yesterday, and it shows Biden with an eight-point lead. That's a positive three since their last poll on May 26th, and Donald Trump is down two points. And so I think we got Mm -hmm. a little bit of an answer to the question that these rights are not going to, in the initial phase, cause people to be reactionary and law and order and bent like they did in 68. It's more of Donald Trump's incompetent, and he ain't going to be the one that fixes it. 
no matter how we want it fixed. Mm. So um, that's Interesting the, the newest numbers. If you go to Twitter and find Evan Speed, there are probably more places because it's YouGov poll, but it's there. And it looks like you can even get the um, cross tabs on Google Docs mm. so you can really get into the information there. Um, well, guys, uh, great to have Margaret Carlson on. And then next week we're going to have our guests more at our regular time at 720. John Ryder of Arizona is going to um, come on the show, tell us what's going on in Arizona. We know that they are the battleground of battleground states, both in the um, presidential race and they have a very fascinating U.S. Senate race to discuss. So we're very excited about John Ryder being on next week. Okay. Till then, been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, night, guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.